Good morning. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Although it's printed for you in the bulletin on page 6, just one short verse right there. If we haven't met before, my name is Nick, and I'm glad to be here with you uh, as we look at God's Word together. We're in a series, an Advent series called The Coming King, and we're looking at passages outside of the four Gospels that teach us about the incarnation of Jesus, of the Son of God coming to earth uh, as a man. Just a short summary of what we heard last week. We learned how for Christians, life is a journey from weariness to rest, from alienation into his presence as we fix our eyes on Jesus. Steve encouraged us to uh, obsess, to think about Jesus, to be, for Jesus to be the one that we are most focused on uh, as we go about our days. And the promise is as we meditate on what he did for us and as we work his word into our hearts, into our lives, he is changing us by his spirit. So now we turn to just one verse that tells us more about the coming king and why he came. So hear now God's word from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. Let's pray once again. Our great God and Father, help us now to see the glory of Jesus in your holy word. May our hearts and minds and bodies be eager to listen, repent, believe, and obey. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. So if I were to ask you what's on your Christmas wish list this year, I'm guessing that godliness is not on your list. Uh, Maybe you haven't made a list. I haven't really made a list either, but when I was younger and made Christmas lists, that was definitely not something that I thought about. Uh, What if I told you that the point of Christmas is to make you godly? That that is the reason for the season? Uh, Again, imagine, kids, if uh, your dad said, here's what I got you for Christmas, godliness. You'd probably think that that was a cruel dad joke. Uh, But what God is saying to us through his word today is that it is the purpose. Jesus coming is to make us godly, is to make us like him in all the ways that creatures can be like God. Again, we can't be in more than one place at one time like God can, even though we often try. Uh, We're often trying to do too much. But in ways that creatures can be like God, in his truth, in his love, in his compassion, these are the things that God is working in us. This is why Jesus came. God wants you to want godliness for Christmas this year. And the coming king is here through his word and spirit to make it happen. So here we go. Are you ready? Godliness comes through right belief and true devotion to the coming king. Godliness comes through right belief and true devotion to the coming king. Uh, Now, before we get into our main points, let me answer just a few objections. You might be thinking, why should I want godliness? Many reasons could be given, but 
one big reason why you should want godliness is because of how passionately you want to see it in other people. And how angry it makes you when you don't see that in other people. Uh, we expect it in our politicians and leaders. And if they fail morally, sometimes they're removed from their position. And we've seen a lot of that lately. If you're a kid, you expect your parents and teachers to be godly, right? If they do something that you think is unfair to you, you say something, right? Or if you get in trouble uh, and maybe you feel like you got in trouble unfairly, you're going to defend yourself. You don't want anyone to treat you unfairly. You want people to treat you with godliness. And parents, don't we expect godliness of our kids? Uh, sometimes we expect them to be perfect, but we want them to obey us, and we say, obey me because I love you and I know what's best for you. These are the things that we say. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> but you expect godliness in others, and therefore you should want it for yourself. To not want it is to be hypocritical, right? We want others to be godly. It's easy for us to understand that. It's a little more difficult to see it for ourselves, but if we want it for others, we should want it for ourselves. Uh, secondly, why must I believe and devote myself to Jesus? It seems maybe uh, a little narrow, or it seems, I don't know, harsh or um, insensitive. Even if you struggle with the exclusive claims of Jesus that he made about himself, you should admit that he treated people with love and dignity and with respect. Not too many people question that. Most people extol the kindness of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the way that he treated people, the way that all sorts of people felt comfortable being around him. I encourage you to listen to what he said, observe what he did, and how he changed people, and ask yourself, could it be that I have been missing out on something when it comes to Jesus? Maybe he is the coming king that I really need to know. So my encouragement to you is to, to have an open mind about him, even if you think that the exclusive claims of Jesus, uh, that may seem kind of narrow to you. But for all of us, let's be open to the one whose word, uh, we hear the word of the one who claims to be the king of godliness. Again, we see the need for godliness. We see how we fall short. We see how others fall short. And we're left wondering how can we be who we're supposed to be. So here we go, the mystery of godliness. The first part of verse 316 says, Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. Uh, you may be thinking, what does Christmas have to do with godliness? According to this verse, everything. Godliness means appropriate beliefs and devout practice. It's believing and doing what's right. For Christians, we want to be godly, but we struggle. Again, as Christians, we spend a lot of time thinking about what God wants us to do. We think about his commandments. We think about how we should love other people. We think about how we should love God. And especially if we've been Christians for a long time, we wonder, man, why do I still struggle? Why is it hard to be godly? Why is it hard to love those in my very own family the way that I should love them? Uh, and if you're not a Christian, you know you're supposed to be good, but you're not, you never quite measure up. Uh, again, as we confessed earlier in uh, the confession of faith, we know that we should be good, 
And we know that no amount of education could ever change that fundamental problem about us. I mean, someone should have figured out by now that if you would just read a book or if you would just hear a lecture, that someone would finally be able to figure out how to be godly, how to treat others with respect, how to love God, how to view others the right way. It's proof that our problem goes beyond lack of information. Our problem is moral and spiritual. We've turned against the God who made us. Uh, It's not just education that saves us. We need something or someone who can address that problem. But the way that God did it is a mystery. That's really the point of this verse. So here, mystery means that which transcends normal understanding. Again, we see this problem of godliness. We, we know who we need to be, but we can't quite achieve it. And God comes in a mysterious way uh, to make that happen in us. This verse says that the mystery of godliness is found in a person, in Jesus Christ. But it's not always obvious to us or to our friends and neighbors who are not Christians. Again, if Jesus is the king, why doesn't everybody recognize it? And for us as Christians, if Jesus is our king, why do we often fail to live like it? Right? At least I do. Um, Why is true godliness a struggle and elusive to many? What comes to your mind when you think of a king? Usually when we think of a king, we think of maybe someone wearing a crown, very nice clothes, maybe they have a whole entourage of people that shows that this is a person of power. This is a person of authority. Uh, But we know in literature and even in the Bible stories of of kings and royal people who uh, disguise themselves for a certain purpose. I think of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers unfairly. He was sold into slavery. Many years had passed. Eventually, God made it so that he was second in command in the kingdom. And there was a famine in the land, and eventually it reached Joseph's brothers who had betrayed him. And their father says, go and and get food. We hear that there's food in Egypt. So they go down, and Joseph recognizes his brothers, but they don't recognize him. And you would think a brother who hasn't seen his family for so long right away would say, hey, it's me, it's Joseph. But he he conceals his identity for a certain purpose. Really, he wants to see if they've changed. They betrayed him so many years ago, and before he reveals who he is, he wants to find out if they've changed. And he begins to hear them talk to themselves, and uh, they realize that they had done wrong. Again, they're talking to themselves, and they say, is God punishing us for what we did to Joseph? And and Joseph can hardly... uh, contain himself, but he waits, and finally he reveals himself when Judah is willing to to sacrifice his own life uh, for that of his brother, and he finally reveals himself because he sees that uh, they figured it out, that God had been working godliness in them. But Jesus also, in a way, conceals his identity. He doesn't yet come to this world in full glory. He will, but he doesn't yet come. We might like him to come, especially if someone does something against us, some sort of injustice. We want God to come in all his glory and to take out everybody. 
But until he comes, it means that he is still working. It means that God can come in grace. God is coming in grace right now. Because if he came in his glory, uh, no, one, no one could stand. So right now, he, he is concealing his glory in a way. Uh, but yet he is still here and he's still working. So this mystery of godliness is found in a person. So what does it say about him? What does 1 Timothy 3.16 say about this coming king? So six truths about right belief and true devotion to the coming king. First it says he appeared in a body. This is a reference to the incarnation of Jesus, something that we've been thinking about this morning, something that we've been thinking about since last week. The mystery of the incarnation is that God became man. In order to save us, the Son of God took on a human nature and lived among us. God didn't just send a message. He didn't just send a book. He sent a person. He sent himself so that we might know him and so that he might know us. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Without the incarnation, there is no salvation. There is no godliness. Why? Because God needed to become human in order to save humanity. Again, do you see and feel the gap between your godliness, I'll say the lack of godliness, and God's holy perfection? Think about just a few questions. What caused you to lose your temper this week? How much time did you spend thinking about God's love for you? And I would say those two questions are really related because it's hard to be angry with someone when you're thinking about God's love. Uh, Or what made you anxious and fearful? Isn't it obvious that we're not as godly as we should be? You and I could never make up for that gap of godliness, but God did in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. He, he made up for that gap. God came as a person in Jesus Christ, standing in the gap for us and becoming human to suffer as human in order to rescue a sinful people. Uh, we worship a God who is close, a God who came close, as close as the person sitting next to you. Jesus walked this earth and lived as a man. He lived a humble life uh, and died on the cross. But thankfully, he didn't stay dead. Uh, The second line is, he was vindicated by the Spirit. Uh, This is kind of a a difficult reading. There are different interpretations, but I think the best explanation is that this speaks of his resurrection. Listen to what it says in Romans 1.4. It says, he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. God the Holy Spirit testifies to you and me of the true identity of Jesus through his resurrection. Jesus predicted that he would die and then be raised. And through his resurrection, through the fact that it actually happened, God the Holy Spirit is testifying that what Jesus said was true. What greater testimony could the Holy Spirit give to you and to me and to this world than by raising Jesus from the dead. But what does his resurrection have to do with godliness? 
one reason is that Jesus was raised so that we shouldn't hesitate to trust in him. If Jesus takes care of our biggest problem, which is our impending death by his resurrection from the dead, we really have nothing to worry about. You might be thinking, we have nothing to worry about. Um, Godly people are not consumed with worry. At least we shouldn't be, right? Yes, godly people have real problems like everybody else, but the resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate reality. It's our ultimate hope. We know that if Jesus has taken care of our death, if he is taking care of our life and everything in between, and ultimately all that we need is found in relationship with him, really what do we have to worry about? Knowing him, experiencing him, makes all of those things seem, um, they're still important, they're still things that face us that are extreme, but Jesus experienced the, the most extreme thing. He experienced separation from his Father so that we wouldn't be separated from him forever. And even in the midst of difficulty, our relationship with God is not taken away. We know Jesus through suffering. It's actually another way that we experience him. Paul said, I want to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. We so often want to run away from them when we should be looking at them as an opportunity to know Jesus. Again, we think that we're going to be separated when we experience suffering, but God says, I'm right there. Jesus says, I'm right there with you. I experienced it myself, and I will be with you through the suffering, and you're going to know me better. The resurrection of Jesus is the key to what we really want, right? To be with God and his people. Again, if we're here in the body, we're here together, there's much meaningful work for us to do. But ultimately, the resurrection is what brings us where we want to be and who we really want to be with. We want to be with God. We want to be with God's people. We want to be freed from sin forever. And the resurrection makes that happen for us through our union with Christ Jesus' resurrection is a sign of our resurrection, that one day we'll, we'll, we'll be perfect with him. So what else do we confess about Jesus? He was seen by angels. This is likely a reference to his ascension. When after he was on earth for 40 days and teaching his disciples, he ascended into heaven. Uh, in Revelation 5, uh, it talks about how the angels were given the privilege that we do not yet have right now. None of us sees Jesus in person right now the way that the angels see him right now. Listen to Revelation 5, 11 and 12. It says, Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might, and honor and glory and blessing. The angels worship him now because they see him as he is. He's with them. But we join in their song. We don't yet see Jesus the way that we will, but we join in their song as we see him through his word. This brings us to uh, the next thing we confess is Jesus was preached among the nations. Uh, in other words, the spread of the gospel to the nations is bringing Jesus to this world. Jesus is in heaven. He's here through his spirit, 
And as his word is preached, as the gospel goes out, the good news of what he did to save sinful humanity, he is coming. He is bringing himself. So we don't see Jesus as we will one day, but we do see him. Uh, And it's mysterious and sometimes difficult, but we see Jesus through his word. We even see Jesus through baptism and the Lord's Supper. These are pictures. These are things communicating to us the truth of who Jesus is. We see him in one another, in other Christians as they live faithfully before him, as they show expressions of love and compassion and of sacrifice. I mean, we can all tell stories, if, if we've walked with the Lord, of people displaying a very simple act of kindness to us and showing us the love of God when we least expected it. God shows up through an act of kindness, and we see Jesus through other people. Uh, One story I love in the Gospels is in Luke 24, when the disciples were on the road to Emmaus, it was after Jesus uh, had died, the disciples thought that Jesus was the king, they thought that he was the coming king, but him dying was not what they expected, and they, they couldn't understand in their minds how God was working through this, and Jesus comes to them, and they don't recognize him. And he asked them, what are, what are you guys talking about? And he said, they said, well, we thought that this guy, Jesus, was the one who was to come. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they thought that Jesus wasn't going to uh, end up the way that he did. And Jesus begins to tell them, uh, he says, how slow are you to believe the promises? How slow are you to believe what God had predicted before? And he began to show them all the things in Scripture about him. Imagine being a part of that lesson, being part of that devotional. Jesus himself telling you all the things about him in his word. Uh, I think their Bible study was changed forever. But when did they recognize him finally? In the breaking of the bread. When the bread was broken, their eyes were open, and they saw that it was Jesus. And then he went away. So we don't see Jesus the way that we want to. I mean, don't we, don't we want to see Jesus? Don't we want to be with him? Don't we want to experience his love, especially in our times of loneliness? We will see him, and we should long for that, but now we see him through his word. Now we see him through the love of other people, the love of other Christians as they testify to his love, as they endure suffering, um, uh, even if it's at the hands of ungodly people. Uh, Jesus can be seen if you see him with the eyes of faith. Again, it's, it's not a trick. It's true. Jesus is in heaven. He hasn't come yet. He has a purpose for us still in this world until he comes. But we see Jesus uh, in these ways now. Fifth truth, it says that he was believed on in the world. Faith was a recognition of Jesus as king. Again, Jesus is crowned in glory right now, but not yet in this world. The way that Jesus rules now is through his word. He comes bringing this word kingdom. He comes not with a sword, but with his word. Not so that he could cut people down, so that he could bring people in. His word welcomes people. His word welcomes you and me to become a part of his kingdom willingly instead of at the end when he comes and everybody's going to bow the knee. 
whether willingly or not. So he comes, and as we, as we believe in him, as more and more people in this world believe in him, he is glorified. People recognize him as their king. Uh, in Acts 16, it says that there was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, God enabled this woman to understand that Jesus was the king, that he was the one that she needed, that he was the one that she needed to trust in uh, for life now and forever. And when you and I believe in Jesus, we acknowledge him as our king. He begins to reign in you more and more, and godliness is the result. Again, sometimes we focus on doctrine or we focus on right living. Uh, Maybe we tend to prefer one over the other. And if that's true of you, you should probably focus on the other side. If you're, like, if you're, if you're a doer, maybe you need to focus more on the doctrine. Uh, and if you, uh, you know, love doctrine, you love to study theology, maybe you should also focus on, on the doing. Uh, true doctrine, true devotion to Jesus does result in a changed life. It can't not do that. Because we're encountering a person. These are not just ideas in a book. This is a person who has made himself known to you and me. And just like when you spend time with a person a lot, you become like that person. Especially if you admire that person. Um, I think of my brother Doug when we're together. I like to make him laugh and tell him jokes. And I find myself uh, wanting to tell him jokes that would impress him and, and that he would like. And it's just by being in his presence And when we're in the presence of Jesus, we want to know him. We want to be like him. We can't help but be changed. And lastly, we confess that he was taken up in glory. This is Jesus in his glorified state. Again, Jesus is glorified now in heaven, but he is glorified in this world when we believe in him, when we worship him, when we live for him. Again, we're we're in a room right now. We're singing praises to one who is invisible, invisible to us right now. It seems strange to the world, but to us who have seen our need for Jesus, that we needed someone who was perfect, who was human as we are, yet without sin, and who uh, died and was resurrected and is now in heaven, he is the one that we need and he is the one that we worship. Uh, It seems strange to the world, but to us, it makes perfect sense. Jesus is not here yet in person, but he will be. One day all will see him and give him the glory that he deserves but now we see his glory. It doesn't seem very impressive. It sometimes feels like a waste of time or seems like a waste of time, uh, especially to our friends who don't believe. But we are here in God's presence because he's changing us. We want to glorify him. We want to be godly. And this is how he works. So what about, this? What about living in this mystery? When you think about living in a mystery, it doesn't seem... Uh, all that fun because you don't have all the information that you want. The mystery of godliness becomes a reality in us through the gracious rule of our coming king. Christians, though we acknowledge Jesus as our king, it doesn't mean that we fully understand all the ways that he works. Again, why, why do difficult things happen to us? Why don't we make the progress in godliness in this life that we think that we should have had by now? We don't always understand his working, but we know 
that he is the one who changes us. And we know that if we belong to the king, we have all that we need. Through the eyes of faith, his word, his spirit, and his people show us Jesus now. We may not be growing as quickly as we want to, but we know that Jesus is the one who will cause us to grow. And he uses us to help other people to grow. And if, you, if you're not a Christian, I'm glad that you're here today. Uh, Jesus has a word for you. Uh, he is a king, but he comes offering peace to all who will come to him in repentance and faith. He delights to bring us in. He delights to bring you in. One last passage from John 12. And it speaks about people who want to see Jesus. In John 12, 20, it says, Now among those who went up to, the, to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies... It remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it. Will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is for anyone, anyone who will come to him. The mystery of godliness, the mystery of the one who brings us into a a right relationship with God, the one who is committed to making us godly, the one who is committed to making us like him, to rescuing us from the endless frustrations of our lives that are sometimes caused by us and sometimes caused by others. The mystery of godliness is a person who is changing us, who brings us in relationship to himself. He's a good friend, and he is at work among us. So, Uh, Our work, our duty, our joy and delight is to worship him today, to surrender to him now, to give him glory now, uh, and to enjoy and experience him throughout this life uh, of good times and bad times and everything in between. But our encouragement is that we belong to him uh, through, through it all. So let's go to him in prayer right now. Jesus, you are the coming king. And sometimes we wish that you would have come in a different way or that you would maybe work a little more quickly in us. But we humbly submit to you as our king. We know that if there is any growth in godliness, it comes through you, through knowing you, through knowing your word, through your spirit working in us, through us enjoying the fellowship of your people that we might see Jesus more and more and that we might be changed by him more and more. So Lord, help us this morning to submit to Jesus willingly, uh, to enjoy him and to glorify him as our king. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.